So hey, our passage today is uh, Matthew 19, 13 through 30. Matthew 19, 13 through 30. And the title of this sermon is Rich. Title of this sermon is Rich. Uh, and today, together, we want to look at being rich. And as you can imagine, in a church service um, about God and his son Jesus, we're going to talk about being rich in God and how that is uh, far better and more important than being rich in this world. Amen? Amen. So some of you may be amening to that thinking, yeah, kind of. I mean, it'd be pretty great to be rich in this world, right? And so Jesus is going to shepherd us through some of those things today. And in most of our minds, when we think of rich, we think of money, we think of possessions, uh, we think of maybe for some of us, we think of of age or we think of maturity related to age. I don't know that most people think of age as being rich, but maturity related to age and um, uh, maybe uh, things that you have or desires that have been met or that sort of thing could be how you define rich. And where we get in trouble with that is when we start to idolize those things and when those things that we desire become our identity and we're, we're going after those things rather than the Lord. And he's going to show us some things today through some interactions with a, a man called the rich young ruler and some other teaching with the disciples that's very, very helpful to us. And it's super uh, refreshing. Um, the reason it's refreshing is because our world is constantly throwing thoughts at us about what, what true richness is. It's every commercial, it's every um, ad that's coming at you, and it's even the temptations that are in our hearts. So what he shares today is, is refreshing in a significant way. So here's the big idea. True richness is knowing Jesus and that eternal life is ahead, all right? True richness is knowing Jesus and that eternal life is ahead. And as we get going with this passage today, I want to ask you, do you believe that is true, all right? And if you believe that is true, are you practicing that that is true? And that's, that's what I think the disciples in this passage at this point and Jesus' discipleship of these 12 men, I think they know this is true, but I think they're learning to apply it. And Jesus gives some contrast in this passage so that they can really apply that and live that. So because true richness is knowing Jesus and that eternal life is ahead, first point today is let kids come to Jesus, All right? If true richness is knowing Jesus and that eternal life is ahead, then let kids come to Jesus. And, and this may be like, that is not what I thought the first point would be out of this passage, this first paragraph today, but that's exactly what's going on. And, and as we get into the second point, I'll, I'll explain the link between these things a little bit, all right? So here's verses 13 through 15. It says, then children were brought to him, that Jesus might lay his hands on them and what? And pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. All right, so why did people bring their kids to Jesus? Very clearly, they wanted Jesus to pray for these kids. All right, parents then got it, and we parents today need to get it. Our kids need Jesus, amen? Our kids need Jesus. Our kids need, our kids need nutrition. Our kids need education. But y'all, our kids need Jesus. And so parents then, parents today, bringing their kids to Jesus so he can pray for them. But what did the disciples do? The disciples stopped these parents. They're like, Jesus is busy, 
right? They went into bodyguard mode or schedule mode or whatever it is mode, and they're like, Jesus is busy. And then what did Jesus do? He rebuked the disciples. This is kind of fun. The word rebuke means to lop off with a sword, all right? That's what this is. So Jesus is like, that behavior, that thing you just did, stopping kids from coming to me, whoosh, right? That's the sound, all right, what that makes, all right? That's the sound of lopping off with a sword of rebuking. And Jesus, he's like, don't ever do that again. Don't ever hinder someone from coming to me, that I could pray for them, that I could care for them. And this, he was stern in this moment. He rebuked them in this moment. And then he says, he explains, let the little children come. Do the exact opposite of what you did. Let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? It means, one, Jesus loves kids. Jesus loves praying for kids. Jesus wants kids coming to him. We saw at the beginning of Matthew 18 that he wants us as adults to have childlike faith. There's so many things going on here. And then when he says, to such belongs the kingdom of God, we realize here in this moment, and, and we know this, but them then, they were, they were probably thinking, when can people be saved? Like, what, what's the deal? And Jesus is like, kids can be saved and have childlike faith. And so the eyes are opening for people, understanding is occurring about ministry to kids, and then Jesus lays his hands on the kids and prays for them. Look at verse 15. Jesus laid his hands on them and went away. Y'all like, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who came down out of heaven, puts his hands on kids' shoulders, and, and I don't know if he closed his eyes, I don't know what prayer looked like back then, right? but he's praying for these kids. Let the little children come to me. And what does he do? He prays. That's powerful. That's our Lord caring for the next generation. And adults are seeing that, and it is changing their categories for what ministry needs to look like in this world to the next generation. All right, so one thing that, praise God, I think the church at large in this world is getting right, and there's probably a lot of things the church at large is getting wrong, so let's talk about a positive thing right now. The church at large is getting right is that the church generally is known for loving kids, right? They think about all the, the and it's born from passages like this when you think of uh, kids' ministries and orphanages and things like we'll be doing next month with Operation Christmas Child and VBSs that happen in, in just about every city um, during this summer and, and reading literacy programs and all of these things that the church does to care for the next generation. That passion is compelled from passages like this. And I'm thankful for how well kids are loved by Christians. And I'm thankful for how well kids are loved by our church, by our church here. So I, I want to show you a I want to show you something really encouraging, a, a celebration of sorts, all right? So this is uh, the core group picture. This is the core group that helped launch this church in uh, the spring. Um, this is, I guess, early, late summer of, of 2008, all right? So first of all, we have aged a little bit. Secondly, <laughs> there are four kids in that picture, all right? Right in the middle is Maddie, all right? That's Maddie, who's right here with a, with a broken ankle, right? Almost 14, right? And then uh, to Maddie's right, to, you know, two over, that's Lorelai rocking awesome sunglasses. And then, and then over here, facing that way, all right, this is Ethan Dillon and Hannah Dillon. You guys see, you guys see them right there? All right? So there's four kids. And, and I, I want you to see all four of those kids are, are now, you know, not really kids anymore. And they're all walking with Jesus. They're all walking with Jesus. 
and their parents love Jesus, and their parents have been discipling them, and this church has been discipling them, and now they're in Harvest Students, and, and y'all are discipling them who is involved in Harvest Students, and, and Maddie was baptized this summer, and Ethan's going to be baptized on November 13th, and Lorelai's going to be baptized on November 13th. Like, y'all, the seed, the gospel seed that parents and we have been planting and watering for years is bearing fruit, amen? Isn't that so awesome? Y'all, Jesus loves kids, and this church loves kids, and our kids' ministry matters, and it's making an eternal difference in the lives of these students now, these teenagers now. And y'all, I did, I had four, I did four baptism interviews on, on Wednesday afternoon, just such a glorious afternoon. It's like, yeah, what do I have next? Another, like, so great, right? Sometimes there's, there's fruit, and you just celebrate it, and so Ethan Dillon is in my office, And I ask him, hey, Ethan, how do you know for sure that you're saved? And y'all, I'm telling you, his answer to that question was maybe the best I've ever heard. It was like a sentence. And I'm like, well, interview's over, buddy. Way to go, right? I mean, (laughs) so good. I was so proud of you, man. I was so proud of you. And, And just like... He gets it. He loves Jesus. He gets what Jesus has done. He used the word Jesus and forgiveness and sin and salvation all in one sentence. And I'm like, buddy, and he's doing it with heart. Like he gets it. And y'all, Jesus loves that. And Jesus has done that by his mercy and by his grace, right? So let the little kids come to Jesus, right? Keep discipling your kids. Let's keep discipling one another's kids. One of the best things going about our church is that all the next generation in our church, they see adults loving God, loving one another, and loving, one, loving others. They see us in fellowship with one another in small groups. They see us on serving teams. We're not, we're not like warming the bench sort of Christians, right? We're all in loving God, loving one another, loving others, and it's making an impact on our kids. So keep it up. Keep it up. Let kids come to Jesus, all right? Next up in this passage, the story of a rich young ruler who chose to not come to Jesus. Some serious contrast happens right here from verses 15 to verse 16. Now, uh, let the next point here from 16 to 22 is let go and come to Jesus. And this one's for really all of us, us adults maybe if Jesus is shifting um, away from the kid thought here. It's, I guess it was adults the entire time, our perspective All right, let go and come to Jesus. But before we get into verse 16, I want to share something with you that I I learned this week as I was studying this passage. I never knew this before. In all three synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the rich young ruler passage that we're about to read follows this passage about letting the little children come to me. All right, so why would the Holy Spirit intend that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would each connect those so well? Why Why would he do that? What would he want us to understand? All right, and, and, and why would they be arranged in that way? I think the answer is very clearly the disciples were hindering the kids, but this man was hindering himself from coming to Jesus. The disciples were hindering the kids from coming to Jesus, but this man that we're about to read about was hindering himself from coming to Jesus. And the entire point is true richness is knowing Jesus and that his eternal life is ahead. So Jesus is talking about what hinders us from coming to him. And he's trying to get rid of all of those things to clear the way so people can be saved. So here's verses 16 through 19. This is such an interesting, helpful interaction for us to observe It says, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one 
who is good. So Jesus takes a what of doing a good deed and says the who of who only can. And there is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments, right? The, the, the law kind of, uh, kind of summarized for all of us. Okay, so questions. Did Jesus just say that we can enter heaven by keeping the commandments? Yes, he did. And that's so interesting. A kid just said no about some other. Y'all heard that? This is great timing. Let me, that was really special. All right. Let me back up because I lost all the momentum of what I was trying to do. Pause, pause, pause. All right. Did Jesus just say that we can enter heaven by keeping the commandments? He did. All right. But can we keep the commandments? No. Can Jesus? Yes. So this guy thinks he can do it, right? He, he's like, I'm the guy that can keep all the commandments. And Jesus is like, there's only one who is good. He's like, no, 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 man, I, I got this. It's me, right? He's face to face with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the holy one, the promised one. And he's thinking, I got this, right? Then verse 20, look at verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Whew, all right, so, so this man clearly missed the Sermon on the Mount during which Jesus equated hate with murder and he equated lust with adultery. And I think this man's definition of perfection was a little loose, right? Are you all with me on that? I think his definition of perfection was a little loose. But again, before we, before we look at this passage and identify with Jesus rather than identifying with uh, rich young ruler, we should recognize that all of us do the self-righteous thing, don't we? We all do the, I got this, I, I can handle this. We, we all do the self-righteous thing rather than get real and humble ourselves and confess our sin before God. And that's what God, that's what Jesus in this passage wants this man to do, to get real and to humble himself and to confess his sin before God. Jesus is teaching here in this passage in conversational manner that salvation is a gift, that we cannot earn it. Why? Because we are that far from God without Jesus. Even this guy who was not sinning is that far from God without Jesus. Right, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I want to read it to you, and it's on the screen as well. It says, for by grace, by what? By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is saying that Jesus and his keeping of the law and his sacrifice to pay our penalty is our means of salvation and forgiveness, not ourselves. But this passage in Matthew 19 is the interactional version of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This man thought he could bring his workmanship to Jesus and receive a standing ovation from Jesus. 
And Jesus is like, man, you can't work your way to heaven. You have to humble yourself and confess your sin and believe. So here's, here's what happens next. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Y'all, Jesus knows our hearts, doesn't he? And he just got to the heart of things with this man. And what was this man's identity? And what was this man's identity? It was very clearly his riches, right? his riches, and, and the identity that he was a rich person and all the other people that recognized that man is a wealthy man. And he loved that so much that he was unwilling to give that up to inherit eternal life. It was that big in his sight, his riches, that he was missing Jesus. He was missing eternity. He had his, he had his perspective completely wrong. Jesus identified that this man's king was his wealth or his identity in his wealth. Was he willing to dethrone his wealth and his identity in it and have Jesus there? No. What's really interesting is Jesus gives this man the exact same call he gave the disciples in Matthew 4. He said, if you would do this, leave these things and follow me. And the disciples said yes, and this man said no. So we follow Jesus, and and that means giving him the lordship that he so deserves. My um, girls have this substance in our home called detangler. Detangler, all right? Um, What they do is they spray it on their hair, or Vanessa and I would spray it on their hair. You know, when the hair is doing like the bird's nest thing or the knot thing, and they've been saying ow so many times that we're like, let's get some mercy coming from this little bottle of detangler. So what does detangler do? Well, y'all, it detangles, all right? So their hair gets tangled from just life, from sports, from, you know, driving with the windows down, riding with the windows down. Uh, They don't drive yet. And, uh, and, and, and just life, sleeping, all of those things. And um, so we'll, we'll spray a little of this on their tangled hair and then kind of brushes right out, right? And y'all, we need detangler. We are so tangled up by the things in this world, like knotted up, and we can't, get things straight on our own. We just can't. We try and we can't. And we keep trying and we keep realizing we can't, but then what do we do? We try a little harder and that's what the man is trying to do in this passage. He's like, all right, I've perfected all of these commands. What else? And he's unwilling to do the what else. We're entangled in so many cares of this world that it's hard to come to Jesus. Whether it be distractions or fatigue or wealth or whatever, And what Jesus is saying to this man and to all of us is let go and come to Jesus. Let go and come to Jesus. So I want to ask you several questions. First one is, what is hindering you from coming to Jesus for salvation? That's what's happening in this passage. And for this man, it was wealth. What what is it for you? If you're here today and you're unsaved and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, what is hindering you from coming to Jesus for salvation today? And I want to encourage you, Jesus is encouraging you, let go and come to Jesus. Second question, what is hindering you from having great Bible and prayer time with Jesus every day? 
What is hindering you from that? Because that's knowing him, that's walking with him, that's bringing him into your life, that's letting him lead you through those things. What is hindering you from having great Bible and prayer time with Jesus every day? And I want to encourage you, and Jesus wants to encourage you, let go and come to Jesus. Another one is, what is hindering you from stewarding what you have for Jesus? Rather than hoarding it, rather than holding a a death grip on it, which is exactly what it is, what is keeping you from, from stewarding what you have for Jesus? Maybe it's faith in something else. Let go and come to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. They say, let, uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, a.k.a. entangles, right? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We think that thing is entangling me. I got to detangle it. I got to get rid of it so that I can run the race. I don't want to run the race bogged down. I don't want to run the race slow down. I want to run the race that Jesus is setting out for me rather than others are setting out for me or rather I'm setting out for me. I want to run his race for me. And Jesus is saying just that in two words by saying, follow me. So what's hindering you? What was hindering the kids was disciples, and Jesus rebuked that. What was hindering this rich man was his wealth and his identity and his wealth. What's hindering us? What's hindering you? Let go and come to Jesus. So so check this out. The rich young ruler was coming to Jesus expecting a standing ovation. And the kids were coming to Jesus so that Jesus could pray for them. That's quite a contrast, right? So what will you do? What, What will we do with this passage now? Look at verses 23 through 30. Third point. Follow Jesus as your king. That is the only thing we could do with a passage like this. Follow Jesus as your king. Follow him. Look at verses 23 through 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, all right, rich man's gone. He said, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with this, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. So Jesus just said two enormously important things. And and before we talk about that, I want to ask you, I I want us to zero in real quickly on verse 25 because the disciples ask a question that helps us understand what richness really is in this passage. What do they they ask? They asked him, um, who then can be saved? If if a rich person can't enter heaven because they're, they're so, or a rich person that's so distracted by their wealth can't enter heaven, then who can? All right, were the disciples rich? No. So they understand in this moment that Jesus isn't just talking about wealth. He's talking about, they understand he's talking about anything that is distracting you and anything that you have as Lord of your life other than Jesus. And they're saying everyone is distracted. Everyone has a, rich li- a richness like that, that they're, they're, they're tangled up in. So how can we possibly get rid of those things? Or how can any of us be saved? Who then can be saved, they ask. That's their response to this, which is such a humble response. And then Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible, meaning you can't save yourself, but God can save you. He can transform you. 
He can move the, the thing on the throne to off the throne so Jesus is there instead. He can do that. He can change our perspective like that if we will let him do it. So there's two enormously important things he says here, Jesus says here in verses 23 through 26. Number one is distractions such as wealth hold people back from being saved eternally. That's a big deal. And you hear it and you're like, ah, and then you realize it's, it's true. Like we get, we get so focused on other stuff that we miss Jesus. So I want to ask, is anything like wealth distracting you from being saved? That's a big deal. That's an eternal thing. And the second thing Jesus points out here that's enormously important is he says that it is impossible to save yourself. It is impossible to save yourself. And the disciples recognize that everyone is distracted by something. Everyone has to lay aside our death grip on something to humbly come to Jesus. And only faith in Jesus can save you. So have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? This is one of those passages where hard-hearted readers can completely miss the point, right? And, and let, me, let, me, let me share what I mean by that. You come to this passage and you have a hard heart and you're like, here's how I'm going to interpret the passage. I'm going to give more of my stuff away and then I'll have Jesus's love. And you totally miss the point, right? Because that's not what Jesus is saying. So, so an over-application of this passage is all of us have to sell everything, that is not the application of this passage. That's an over-application of this passage. And you're missing the point of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, who's on, the, who's on the throne of your heart? Who is king? Are you following Jesus as king? All right, an under-application of this passage is not unfollowing the idols that you have. That's an under-application of this passage. You would think like, oh, I'm not, I'm not rich, so like, this, this, I'm good on this passage. Let's go to Matthew 20, right? But an under-application of this passage is not unfollowing the idols that you have because the disciples were just like all of us, none of us can, can get through the eye of that needle. We, we're, all, we're all in trouble with this. So what are the idols? How can you, what do you, what do you need to turn off? And then, and then what's a right application of this passage? It's to follow Jesus as your king. And Jesus is saying, how is this possible? The disciples are asking, how is this possible? And the answer to that is, see Jesus for who he is. This man was trying to bring effort. The rich young ruler is trying to bring effort. And what Jesus is trying to do is let this man see exactly who Jesus is so that this man can compare all of his wealth that he has, which was significant, with who Jesus is and choose Jesus because Jesus is eternal and powerful and wonderful and all of these wealth things are nice for a little while, but the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's what's on the line in this passage. We have to get our eyes off of all the things that we idolize and we think about all the times that we want and we're trying to nurture and we're trying to grow and all of that. And, and it's okay to be good stewards of those things. And it's wonderful when we have those things and they're not gods in our lives, but we have to let Jesus be king over those things so that we have our eyes set on him, the king. That's that transformation that we so need. That's how you detangle. That's how you let Jesus be king over those things. 
And the disciples are beginning to understand this. They're seeing that Jesus is the great king. They're seeing that wealth is an eternal, that Jesus is. And are, are we, are we recognizing that? So look at verses 27 through 30 as this passage closes. It says, then Peter said in reply, and, and all of us are like, oh boy, he's gonna say something really wrong and really messed up and we're gonna learn some stuff, right? Like we've been trained, but this time Peter is spot on. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? You look at that passage, you're like, oh, Peter, he's so focused on himself. He's thinking about what he's going to have in the future. But Jesus does not rebuke him in this passage. Look at verse 28. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, meaning heaven ahead, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's for them. And then look at verse 29. And everyone, that's for us, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But the many, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus just answered Peter's question and affirmed that the disciples had followed Jesus as their king. They had left everything. Jesus affirmed that they left houses and family and lands for the name of Jesus. Jesus affirmed that their reward in heaven would be great, way better than anything that they could have kept here. So the disciples' question, the disciples' determination to loosen their grip on everything in this world was right. And Jesus just honored that. And he affirmed that everything that they're gonna have in heaven is a hundredfold of the best thing that they had here. And the key to them inheriting eternal life wasn't their ability to do this really well. It was their faith in Jesus and the reward for their faith in Jesus is eternal life ahead. Positions that you choose to leave or decline here, if, if the Lord leads you to that, will be massively outdone by heaven. Life or income that you choose to leave or decline because the Lord leads you to that will be outdone by eternal life and eternal wealth in heaven. What a contrast. What a contrast. So the question then is, what's hindering us from coming to Jesus? What is it? Like, what are we tangled up in? Or what are we afraid to let go of? Or what, what is that? What's hindering us from walking with Jesus every day? And this passage, loud and clear, is saying, follow Jesus as your king. This passage, loud and clear, is saying true richness is knowing Jesus and knowing that heaven is ahead. And we have our perspective like that and we realize this world isn't as good as it gets and, and our best day in this world isn't as good as it gets, that heaven is ahead. It changes our perspective. It transforms the way that we live our lives. The things that we have are now stewarded for God's glory. Even the things that we have that are distracting us, we're like, I think I'm just gonna get rid of that thing because it's distracting me so I can, so I can follow the Lord and run the race that he's marking out for me. This passage is so delivering. This passage is so refreshing because Jesus defines something that this world is trying to define for us and he defines it and gets it right. So let's detangle and let's come to Jesus and let's run the race that he is laying out 
for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, this passage is massively useful for us. True richness is knowing you, Lord Jesus, and knowing that eternal life is ahead. And because of all of those things, we want to let all the kids come to you. We want to let go of all the things here and come to you, and we want to follow you as king. And Lord, I pray that we can do that. In this moment, we're thinking, yes, yes, yes. But then this afternoon, we get distracted. Tomorrow, we get distracted. The entanglement happens again. And so every day, God, we lay these things down. We confess to you. We're distracted by the things in this world. Lord, clear the way so that we can walk with you. Clear the way. Anybody here who is distracted by the things of this world and is unwilling to come to you because they're seeing the things of this world as better I pray that they would repent of that and believe in you, Lord Jesus, as the eternal one who can save their soul from the penalty of their sin so that they can live with you forever in heaven. God, would you give that? Would you do this impossible work? We cannot do this ourselves. We cannot come to you by ourselves. We cannot be transformed by ourselves. You do all of it. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that in us now change the way we think about all of these things, change the way we live about all of these things. And I pray that each day, every day, every hour, every moment, as you say, follow me, we would follow you. As we're distracted and you say, follow me, we would follow you. As we're putting our identity in something in this world and you say, follow me, we would follow you. As we're thinking we gotta gain and accumulate in this world, you say, follow me and we follow you all the way to heaven where we'll see you face to face and we'll see that what you say in this passage is 100% true we love you Lord Jesus and it's in your name and by the power of your spirit we pray